Well, why don't we bow our hearts, our heads, before we open up God's word. Our Father, we thank you that you're full of strength, you're full of might, and that you display your strength and your power and your might in us who are weak, who are feeble, who tire and stumble often. We thank you that you allow us to draw before your throne as we open up your word this morning and as we await to be instructed by you. We pray that you would work effectively in our lives. Many of us are tired. Many of us are weary from the simple fact that being a Christian, especially here in 2020, is really difficult. It's really challenging. But we have this hope on the pages of Scripture because our God is holy. And as we look to you, Father, I pray that you would encourage, I pray that you would just empower us, instill in us hope to look to you as we traverse, Lord, our journey in this difficult way as we await your coming. We pray, be with us and bless the word. Help me, Lord, to be clear with your truth. And I pray for all of our hearts as we listen. May we not just be forgetful listeners, but effectual doers. And I pray by, by the Spirit you would accomplish that in our hearts. We pray, we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. I want to invite you to open with me this morning to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. I think it's safe to say that although only nine months have passed for many of us and many of those around us, 2020 has been synonymous with disaster. Perhaps for some of you this morning, this is a real case here. I mean, do you even remember what it was like celebrating New Year's Eve 2019? You look back, you can't even remember that event. The year that all of us thought would be special proved to be more than special. Um, so far, we've had quite uh, an experience, uh, a worldwide pandemic that locked the entire world down and resulted in things like toilet paper panic buying, quarantines, Washing and sanitizing anything from your hands to your groceries, elbow bump greetings, social distancing, mandatory mask requirements, Zoom churches, closure of churches, loss of job, loss of lives, depression, loneliness, rising suicides, and a whole host of other things, or at least some inconveniences. Add to those the natural disasters, hurricanes, floods, fires. Just consider that in California, already over 2.2 million acres of land have burned down, and we haven't even reached the peak fire season. Now, granted, not all of our fires were quote-unquote natural. At least one fire resulted from a gender reveal party gone wrong, okay? Just a 
PSA announcement here for all of us. If you are planning to do gender reveal party, don't bring any explosives, okay? Uh, not a good idea. Perhaps a simple text message to your friends and family will do. Now, the, the political scene, in addition to everything that is going on, is rather crazy. Social unrest is like, unlike anything we've ever seen. Personally, in my lifetime, I'm sure it's yours also. And as Christian, it's, it's becoming increasingly challenging to live in this world. And I think you're beginning to realize that more and more. Your, your Christianity is not respected. It is not welcomed. At best, it is still tolerated in some parts of our country. But for the most part, it's, it's hated. And the good news of the gospel um, is great when you consider from the prospect of your death. I know Jesus, when I die, I will be with him in heaven. But sometimes because of the pressures, it is not such good news in the day-to-day life. Because belief in Christ and belief in the gospel requires constant suffering. It results in constant trials. Add to all of this our personal trials that we're experiencing this year. Lots of personal pain or, or seeing the people who, you are near, who are near and dear to you suffer greatly. You know, in some ways, our, our church situation has been challenging the past two or so years, but especially this year. You know, we're growing tired. We're growing weary. And is this your experience, Christian? Are you tired of all the suffering Are you weary of being simply a Christian? Well, if you are, Isaiah 40 is going to be good news for you. It's good news not because God through Isaiah promises to us that things will get better. Somehow the political situation will will improve or, or that Christians, all of us here who are gathered, we're going to be vindicated. No, it has nothing to do with that. Isaiah 40 is good news for us this morning because it proclaims to us that God is God. Isaiah 40 is good news for us this morning because it proclaims to us that God is holy. I want to remind you of the setting in Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is a turning point in Israel's history. In chapters 1 through 39, Isaiah warns the nation of the coming judgment, which which comes true halfway through his prophecy. The northern kingdom that's made up of 10 tribes of Israel is taken away into Assyria, Assyrian captivity in uh, in 724 BC. And through Isaiah, here, chapters 1 through 39, God continues to warn the southern Uh, uh, portion of the kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah, that if they continue to neglect the Lord, the same would happen to them. And it does. In 586 BC, during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Jerusalem is destroyed, and most of the prominent citizens from Judea are taken captive into Babylon. Now, in chapters 40 through 66, Isaiah receives a new message about Israel's restoration. Isaiah 40 is recorded about 100 years before the deportation and then 70 years or so of their exile. 
So the prophet has given them message in this chapter that they would later need. So God prophesies and he pre-records through Isaiah a message that this nation would read 170 years after the fact in order to be encouraged to look up to God and lift up their focus off of their situation, off their circumstances. This chapter in particular sets the scene of what many call the prologue to the rest of the chapters in Isaiah. Now, if you are in Isaiah 40, we read here at the beginning, Oleg read uh, verses 12 through uh, 17 or 9 through 17. We're not going to reread the entire chapter, but I'll just look at this chapter and I'll set the, the scene for us as we get to verse 27 and we begin our study there. Isaiah begins this chapter with a promise. Look at verse one. Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been paid, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So this message of comfort, this message of confidence, the message to look up to God because he's about to show up. And it is followed by this announcement to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, who is coming as a great warrior, but also a tender shepherd. So verses 1 through 11. This announcement would ultimately come true when Jesus Christ comes. If you notice that verses uh, 3 through 4, they're repeated in the New Testament in the Gospels. Um, the ministry of John the Baptist, as he looks up to Jesus and he says, I am preparing the way for this Messiah. Some 700 years later. Verses 12 through 26 function as support for why God can do what he promises to do. This message of comfort is based on the omnipotence of God and his incomparable nature. In other words, what God says here, that I can forgive you your sins, that I can comfort you, I can come to you as a great warrior and as a sweet, tender shepherd is because I can. It's because of who I am. I am different. I am other than you. I'm full of power. I cannot be compared to anything else. And we read a portion of this passage already. And being in captivity for 70, is, 70 years here, Israel, however, begins to question if God was with them and if God loved them still. And so verses 27 through 31, then the people of God are instructed not to mistrust him, but to behold their God and be renewed in strength and faith as they await the fulfillment of these promises. So why don't you open to Isaiah 40, verse 27. We'll read these verses together. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strengths. They will mount up with 
wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. As we look at this passage, I want us to focus on this central theme. And that is this. If we believe God's word, if we believe God's word, realizing who he is and recognizing who we are, we will find comfort in life and strength to endure until he comes. If we believe God's word, as we realize who he is and as we recognize who we are, we will find comfort and strength to endure until he comes. So the question that I want us to consider is this. How do you maintain hope? How do you maintain hope and not grow tired amid global chaos, natural unrest, or your personal trials? I want us to look at three things here this morning. Number one is this. Isaiah wants us to realize who God is. Number one, realize who God is and look to him. He opens up in verse 27 with Israel's complaint. And they're basically saying God is disregarding us. Um, In other words, he's playing sort of hide and go seek with us. We're looking for him, but he's nowhere to be around. And Isaiah says, why do you say, why do you say, and and the aspect of this verb is imperfect, which, which indicates this continual nature of their complaint. In other words, Isaiah is saying, why do you continually say these things? It wasn't just this pressure moment where you've been kind of keeping it all all inside and you've been feeling this thing. And then you just blew up and you're like, God, where are you in this whole thing? But he is saying, why do you? day after day after day, continue to say, where is God? And not only that, why did God leave me all to myself? And in confronting the nation, Isaiah addresses the nation by their covenant name. He says, oh, Jacob, why do you say, oh, Jacob, and assert, oh, Israel, these are God's chosen people. They're not just any people. How can you, the people of God, is what he's saying, say these things? What were they saying? They were saying, my way is hidden. My circumstances. Remember, this is a prophecy that goes all the way to the end of their captivity of 70 years in Babylon. They, they, they've been away from their land. They've been land, away from their home for 70 years. And they're tired. Their hope is fading, so they conclude God must not be aware. Not only that, the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. I am being mistreated here in this place, and I don't get what I deserve. Where is the judge of the earth? From my vantage point, they were saying, I'm being dealt a bad hand, but I deserve better. This complaint, this assertion strikes at the heart of God's character. He either does not know or he does not care concerning me. It's a very graphic language. Have you ever felt this way yourself? Perhaps you're feeling this way right now. You might as well insert your name here and say, why do you say Tim and assert my way is hidden from the Lord And the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. And Isaiah doesn't leave him alone there. 
But what he does in, in verse 28 is he challenges them. He challenges their assertion. He rebukes the nation. Notice the tone here in verse 28 is argumentative. Do you not know? Have you not heard? This keyword not here emphasizes, don't you know? Haven't you heard? In other words, what he's doing here, God has not given them new uh, revelation about himself. What he is doing rather is he's saying, you know these things, church. You know these things, Israel. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jacob. You know these things to be true. Don't you know? I want you to go back and I want you to recall something about God. This information about God has long been available to everyone. And the reason why you Israel feel this way has nothing to do with God, but everything to do with you. And the reason why I feel this way has nothing to do with God, but everything to do with me. I am focused in the wrong place. And what Isaiah is saying is you need to be reminded of your God. You know, these things both as a matter of fact, he says, haven't you heard You heard the facts about God, but not only that, don't you know them by experience? You know, these things, you lost sight of these things. Let me tell you something about God. And he tells them a few things. Number one, Israel, your God is eternal. Israel, your God is eternal. This statement that God is everlasting, the everlasting God, right? Is but a summation of what He already said here in this chapter. Look in your Bibles, Isaiah 40, verse 21. It's right above this verse. Again, look at this same thing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merrily blows on them and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. And then the conclusion is to whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal says the Holy one says the Holy one. What is the point of this passage? Isaiah here declares that your God is holy, which means God is utterly different. And at the heart of God's holiness of who he is, is that he is holy, which by definition means that he is other. Like he does not belong with the rest of us. You can't put God and mesh him in with creation. That's the whole point of Isaiah 40. This middle section is God is radically different. He cannot be compared to anyone. He is holy. What is What has been declared to them from the beginning in Isaiah 40 verse 21? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? 
I mean, think about it. the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1:1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Moses in Psalm 90, verse 2 says, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Church, in eternity past, God was, he is now, and he will be in eternity future. Compare this with, just say verse 6 of chapter 40. All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. Verse 7, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. That's the utter difference between us and our God. Unlike us, who, whose expiration date is set the minute we are born, God never expires. He always is. And so we must realize that God is different, that he's eternal. And, and as we do that, this truth will inevitably transform the way we think about our situation. What Isaiah is teaching us here is that God is not bound by days, by weeks, by months, by years, by our schedules, by our calendars, by our phones. He is not bound by any of this. God acts in time because he operates outside of time. He is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. You are God from our perspectives. We can sense God's delay in something, but that's because we lack the kind of discernment that's required to perceive God's work and timing. God is not like us. H.B. Charles says too early and too late is not part of God's vocabulary. With us, it's like that because we're human and we're bound by calendars and schedules, but not God. When God decides to act, that is the right time, church. I mean, consider some ex examples from scripture. Remember Daniel chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that story? Remember what happened to them? You would think the Lord would rescue them from fire. You would think like right when they're facing Nebuchadnezzar and talking to him, now would be a good time to show up and to prove these three to be your servants, right? But no, God delays and delays and they're, they're getting bound and, and they're being threatened and they're walked up to the furnace and they're thrown into the furnace and you think this is over? They lost. And what happens? God shows up on time in the fire. Isn't that interesting? New Testament, Lazarus. Remember what happened to Lazarus? The family sends a message to Jesus. Lazarus is sick and he's about to die. Don't delay. Come here now. And Jesus, aware of everything that's going on, delays intentionally and does not come until three days after he's in the grave. And then he shows up on time perfect timing, right? To demonstrate that he is Lord of heaven and earth, that he is the resurrection and life. Earlier on in John chapter five, you remember the man who was sick for 38 years and was trying to time the movement of the water so that he can get in and, and be healed. 
But Jesus showed up on time and healed him. Listen, the point is, since God is eternal, his actions are always perfect and we can trust him at all times. Israel, have you not known? Have you not heard? Your God is everlasting God. But not only that, your Lord is the creator. Your Lord is the creator. Being eternal, he creates heaven and earth. Going back to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But notice here what Isaiah writes. He is not the creator of heaven and earth, but more specifically, he is the creator of the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. And the point is that the ends of the earth are just as much handiwork of God as the very center, wherever that may be. As creator, God is in charge of the ends of the earth as much as he's in charge of the very center, of the very core. There are no non-important people for God. And since God is the creator of the ends of the earth, you can trust him in every place. Not only at all times, but in every place. He is not ignorant. He is aware Remind yourself who your holy God is. And therefore, going on in verse 28, because he is your creator, because he's an everlasting God, his strength is tireless and his wisdom is unfathomable. Do, does not, Isaiah write, this God, our God, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. In other words, God can do whatever he wishes to do in his own time. One commentator said, apparent delay never means either a lack of awareness or a lack of ability on his part. God is omnipotent. He does not become weary or tired. He can do whatever he wishes because his resources never run out like ours. He never gets tired or weary. Israel was getting tired after 70 years of captivity. They were getting exhausted. They were looking at their situation and, and perhaps were saying, you know what? We are tired. We're getting old here already. Couple generations have gone by, yet God hasn't shown up. He says here, he promised that he would, but he's not showing up. It's getting more and more difficult to maintain our composure. But he's not only omnipotent, look at this. His understanding is inscrutable. He is all wise. He is full of wisdom. He not only does not wither, but he acts in his own time because his understanding is so much above ours. Alec Mortar said this, and this is key, church, get this. Our inability to discern, our inability to discern does not mean that no discernment is at work. Our inability to see point or purpose does not mean there is no point or purpose. I think that's, that's so crucial for us to realize this morning. When we don't get the point, when we don't have an answer to why, does not mean that there is no why, that there is no answer. We're just different than God. We don't see the way he sees. 
We don't understand his plan the way he understands his plan and the way he purposed everything to work out. William Cowper suffered from great depression through most of his life. He was a hymn writer. And in 1774, he wrote this hymn that's it's pretty famous. I'm sure you know it. God moves in a mysterious way. I'll quote you a couple of stanzas here. It says, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of ever-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. And think of this stanza. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. This is what Isaiah is getting at today. That God is so different. And we, with our little puny, feeble minds, we cannot comprehend. We cannot calculate God. And therefore, what Isaiah wants us to do is just simply realize that God is different. And God's promises stands true because of who he is. Psalm 145, verse 3, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Full grasp of God's purposes beyond human understanding, church. He later on will say in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. As we realize who God is, we are called to submit to him rather than try to figure him out. As we realize who God is, he wants us to submit to him rather than try to figure him out. Isaiah says, behold your God, O Israel, behold your God, church. In the midst of your struggle, look away from yourself, look to God. He is too powerful, he's too wise, he's too majestic. The things that wear us down as Christians, brothers and sisters, they don't bother God. The secular and political agendas and their efforts, the world leaders on whom we think so much hinges, I mean, we're sweating bullets about this upcoming election. Forget it. We just read that he moves them, the rulers of the earth, back and forth. And he does not care. Who makes the judges of the earth meaningless? That's Trump and that's Newsom. Personal worries, fears, frustrations, circumstances. Church, none of these things bug God. So when life doesn't make sense and you begin to get weary, stop looking around, Isaiah says. Look up to God. He wanted Israel to trust God's word and to realize who he is in order not to be discouraged. He promised to show up and care for them like a shepherd to lead them out of their captivity and bring them back to their land. And he remained faithful. He not only showed up to lead them out, but ultimately this prophecy here in Isaiah 40 
was fulfilled in the announcement and the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ, who led them out of their captivity to sin. He would ultimately be the great shepherd. We can look at the fulfillment in this promise to Israel. And now thousands years removed from the writing of Isaiah 40 and look and be sure that as those promises came true for them, they will come true for us. God always shows up on time. He cares for every one of his children to maintain hope and strength to endure. You must not only realize who he is, but second, you must recognize your weakness and limitation. You must recognize your own weakness and limitation. Verse 29, he gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. In light of verse 28, because God never runs out of resources, he has an excess amount of energy to give to those who lack. I mean, look at verse 26 of the same chapter. He says, look up, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, these things. Stars are not there in the original, but the heavenly bodies, the one who leads them forth, The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name and get this because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. The sun, the moon and the stars continue to shine and reflect the glory of God because of his strength. And if God's power is shared with the heavenly bodies, will he not share it with those who are created in the image of God? He gives strength, verse 29, to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases. He gives. The the, the tense here emphasizes that this giving is characteristic of God all the time. It, It does not mean that he only gives to those who, you know, who deserve it. He only gives to those who, you know, uh, behave. He no, he gives to the weary, and he gives to those who are tired, to those who have. No power. God is not mean. God is not stingy. He's not cheap. He's generous and is willing to share his resources. But church, look closely. Who is the recipient of God's strength and power? The weary and those lacking power. There's one condition. Only the weary receive God's strength. Only the weary receive God's strength. Friends, what disqualifies us from divine grace is not our admission of need. What disqualifies us from divine grace is not our admission of need, but an attitude of self-sufficiency. An attitude of self-sufficiency. Think about this. To be saved, you must confess your sin and admit that you're lost. To receive God's strength, you must admit that you are weak and you must look to him. To receive wisdom, you must admit that you have none in yourself. And church, we are not as strong and courageous as we think we are, right? I was just speaking to someone the other day, and they said, you know, it only takes one accident. It only takes one accident to realize you're not as strong or as committed as you thought you were. How true is that? You know, many of us here, especially the, the older um, folks here among us, would probably agree that it really only takes one call 
It takes one visit to the doctor's office, uh, one trip out with your friends, one uh, wrong turn on the freeway to be confronted with reality that we are feeble and that we are not as strong as we believed two minutes ago. Let us not fall in love with ourselves, brothers and sisters. Remember Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4. Remember Herod in Acts 12. Calvin says only those who feel and admit their weakness can avail themselves of such things. And get this, realizing who God is and recognizing your weakness, they go hand in hand, they go together. One commentator said, the more we exalt the greatness of our God, the more we learn to appreciate our smallness, our weakness, incapacity. The more we exalt the greatness of our God, the more we look to God and understand who he is, the more we learn to appreciate our smallness, weakness, incapacity. And when you know the Old Testament, you consider what Paul says about himself, he realized that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we acknowledge our weakness and limitation, we only acknowledge the truth. We're not lying to ourselves. We're just telling to ourselves the truth. And when we do, and when we look up to God, he abundantly supplies by the spirit who lives in us. So look to God, recognize your weakness and limitation, and finally resolve to wait on the Lord. Receive from God, resolve to wait on the Lord. Are you in a hurry You might be in a hurry to get out of this place this morning, but just ask yourself, does it seem to you that you're ready to move on, ready to go places, ready to advance, but God is delaying for some reason? The trial you're in is wearing you out and it seems like God is not aware. Remember 70 years of captivity here. God told them beforehand they will be captive in the land of Babylon for 70 years, and yet they're growing tired. They've concluded that God does not care. Look at verse 30. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous, young men stumble badly. Youths, youth, those who are in the prime of their strength, even though they seem unstoppable, full of life, ideas, drive, passion, Isaiah says, says they eventually wear out. They get weary and they get tired. Vigorous men here, literally choice men, men who you would line up all the youth and you would select from them a bunch for battle. The most dependable force available to men. These are your seals. These are the people that you send on the most impossible mission. And God says, that they stumble badly. They stumble badly. Here's the point. Even the most vital on earth must eventually be worn down. 
their strength has limits. Why? Because all are flesh. We just read that in Isaiah 40 verse 6. All flesh is like grass. Humans at their best are mortal. They have limitations. Regardless of what they appear as today, Isaiah 40 verse 24 says, he merely blows on them and they wither and the storm carries them away like stubble. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. But here's the question of the best collapse and stumble. What hope is there for the rest of us? And Isaiah answers that in verse 31. Our hope is in the Lord. Yet those who wait for the Lord. Because God is not contingent. Because he doesn't depend on anyone. He graciously makes his strength and power available to those who wait for him. And that is good news for us, church. So resolve to wait for God. What does it mean to wait for God? To wait for God is to express complete dependence on God. To wait for the Lord is to declare our confident and confidently expect that he will deliver. It's to look at the word here that he prophesied in Isaiah and say, even though I am tired, Lord, I am tired. I am weary. I stumble day in and day out. Yet I trust you and I expect you to deliver me in your own perfect timing. By waiting, they were to long for the fulfillment of the promise of the coming freedom and be ready to step out in faith when God leads them out. They believed that it was coming, but they did not know when. And so they were continue to be patient and be expectant. You know, waiting on the Lord is not killing time. It's not being lazy. It's not doing nothing. To wait for the Lord is synonymous to walk by faith and fully be obedient and trustful. I mean, consider this. Isaiah already already, uh, mentioned the people who would wait for the Lord, what kind of waiting they would experience. In Isaiah 25, verse 9, just listen. He says, and it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. In other words, as we wait, we denounce any other source of our salvation. We're waiting for this God to come in to deliver us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Later on in Isaiah 49, verse 23, those who not just wait, but hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. Church, you trust the Lord. You wait for God. You will go on the shame. God will act on their behalf, but they had to wait. And when God allows the nation to go out, they would escape with energy and quickness like eagles. They will gain new strengths. They will mount up with wings like eagles, he says. But the road back from Babylon to the promised land would be long and difficult. So it's as if they start out flying and then slow down to running and then slow down to a walk. So it is in our Christian life, brothers and sisters, we who live at the end of the age live with confidence that our Lord is coming back glorious and victorious. We are even more fortunate here than Jacob and Israel in Isaiah 40 because we have seen all the promises from then to now fulfilled in Christ. And we have more faith 
we have more trust, we have more assurance because of everything that's been fulfilled. In conclusion, I want you to notice this progression in verse 31. Yet those who wait on the Lord, they will gain new strengths. They will mount up, they will run, and they will walk. Naturally, I think we would prefer the order to be another way around. And so you would probably, this would be a good book to sell. As you become a Christian, you learn how to walk. And then God gives you strength to run. And then you mount up and you just fly over every single trial and you never look back. That book will sell. But Isaiah says, it's actually the other way around. You know, there are moments in life when you encounter sudden trials. And we know of families now and perhaps we have families here right now in our church who are going through, they, they did not expect this trial to occur. It was an accident of some sort. They're going through severe trials. And guess what? The Lord gives you a measure of grace to persevere you and to mount you over these things like an eagle. You never knew you had that because you didn't. The Lord gave that to you. And then you might have an extended trial and like a marathon runner, God gives you strength to endure, not to give up, not to stop at mile 12, but to run and not get tired, trusting in him that he will supply strength. But the ultimate success in our Christian life is when we learn how to walk. Is when we learn how to walk, when we learn how to trust and wait on God. And brothers and sisters, most of our time is spent in this sphere of life. Is when we just need to walk, resting on Christ, abiding in Christ, something that we have been going over the last few weeks. That he is good that he is enough, that he will sustain us through. How much more should we be focused today, not entangling ourselves by this life, but being spiritually prepared, and as Israel awaited for his coming to rescue them from the captivity, we now await for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we live with great hope and confidence in our God, Christ by his spirit will supply all the grace and strength needed for us to persevere. So wait on the Lord and learn how to walk with him. That's the key to finding comfort in life and receiving the needed strength to endure until Jesus comes. Let us pray. Father, we pray that this word would sink deep into our hearts and our minds and it would remind us that you are great and would continue to remind us day in and day out to look to you to expect from you, to receive from you because you're that God who cares. You're God who's aware, aware of the circumstance, but just aware of our own feebleness. We're not like you and you know that. And that's why you're graciously will provide. You will continue to shepherd us. Oh, Father, we thank you. May we rest in your love as we continue to honor Christ in our lives. Bless us this afternoon. Amen.